0: You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping, to social media, to sports, and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become Liturgies of Life. Science as a cosmic story. Science as a cosmic story. That's our topic today. But you might ask, science has nothing to do with stories. It's just facts. You just get your facts. That's all science is. And yes, of course, science is concerned with facts and about, you know, objective reality or whatever that might be. Um, But I do want to start with a story here, Father Jeffrey, that kind of illustrates how I'm thinking about this and, and how I think we could take this conversation further and it's, you know, in my younger, in my youth, I went to see this, um, IMAX, uh, movie, right? So it wasn't like a full length feature film. It was sort of like a 30 minute presentation, but it was in IMAX and it was a exploration of the cosmos or particularly this galaxy. And then it goes beyond that as well. But, um, and it was narrated by none other than the Oscar winning actor, Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, yeah, so what made the... It was really profound and really amazing. You know, you leave the theater being like, whoa, and you have this great sense, uh, this, this great emotion going through you. But what, the reason you leave the theater with that great emotion isn't because of the science facts that they list for you. And it's not even the visuals. It's the, it's the context and the narrative provided by the narrator and the writers. Right, um, who write the narration? Um, it's what is the meaning of all this, right? And and they would, you know, you you come out from that presentation feeling like your tiny speck in the galaxy, but also really meaningful. Like you have this is your life. Now is the time, right? Don't wait. You know this this call to action to live a good life or live that life of happiness, right? Whatever that might be. So you have this like deep well of emotion and you feel um, awe, the awestruck. That's the word I'm looking for, right? You, you feel awestruck. But it's, it's because you've been presented with a narrative of what the universe means and your place in the universe, right? So it's like science or the story that science gives us as a cosmic story, right? Which is, you know, we talk a lot in this podcast about the story that the church offers, well we, i think that kind of our scientific culture also offers a story and i'm wondering where do those interact and where do they not interact right i'm not sure if other our listeners have had similar experiences being blown away maybe looking up at the stars or or reading some really good uh, popular science uh, books that go through some of this stuff i know father jeffrey you have a little bit of a hobby of reading is it physics
1: yeah, both at the big and the very, very small level. So I'm right, really right. interested in um, cosmology, so astrophysics, as well as yeah. you know, uh, what you might call quantum physics. Mm-hmm. You know, the the tiniest things. You know, because mm-hmm. they they seem to be the most awe inspiring aspects of it. I've also, you know, have a little bit of an interest in in chemistry and and biology, but my my long term interest has been on the physics side. There seems there seems be a, to be much more fundamental than 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 chemistry and biology somehow. Right. But, uh,
0: there, there seems to be this ability for people to get a huge cosmic story where that, that we belong in. And and they seem to it's enough for them. Like there's people that don't need the story of the church or feel that they don't need the story that they get in church. And they kind of the the story of the universe and the cosmos that science gives us seems to be enough. And I'm I'm wondering Is it enough, and how do we, as Orthodox Christians, interact? Is it how do we interact with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, it's enough. I mean, what most, um, I mean, every, let's say, human being needs is a big story to belong to. I mean, we are narrative creatures. I mean, our very existence is as a kind of narrative. I mean, here's a scientific proposition for you, you know, like every seven years, every part of you is replaced in a physical sense, right? All the molecules in your body are, 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 are redone. So the only permanent you isn't a physical reality. You know, you might think, well, you kind of formed, you know, and then born as this tiny thing and you grow up and you're, there's some sort of continuity to you. Well, the only continuity to you is the narrative one. Right. It's the story of you because everything else physically is replaced and fairly regularly. So. In that sense, we are narratives, you know, and so we belong ultimately to, to concentric circles of stories, our families, our neighborhoods, our societies, our our cultures, our our, our religious and, and, and other philosophical stories that, that were part of all these overlapping, inter interlacing narratives. We've talked, you know, a fair bit about that in, in other podcasts, but everyone needs that big story, right? And I want to, you know, just as a thought experiment, put you in mind of Sayaka – A guy work in a field in the 12th century. Let's say France. He's a serf, right? So his his life is the mud of the field and the hard labor, the hard graft of being in that in that environment, and you know, eking out a living, barely subsistence, trying to feed his family. He knows there's no mobility in society. You're you're born a serf, you stay a serf. That's just what life is like. Right, but even in that context, even in that kind of you might say fairly small scope for philosophy, you know, context on a Sunday morning, where is that person? The person is going to be in that cathedral, that grand Gothic cathedral, twelfth century. So you know, we're talking massive, reaching for the stars, you know, uh, cathedrals. You know, where through the invention of the flying buttress, they have these massive walls that are windowed. With the stained glass, you know the, the soaring ceiling, the beautiful rose window, the the iconography or statuary or whatever that, that might be there, the, the the liturgy that is sung in that place, and what does that person have access to in that environment? Well, it's the big story, the sto- the most compelling story of all is the story that, regardless of that mud and. In existence of, of suffering and of struggle and of bare subsistence, regardless of all that, there's a bigger story. That story is the story of God, the God who put you here, <laughs> made you from the mud, right? And left you in the mud for now, but will ultimately take you out of that mud and and put you into uh, a new and, and fulfilled, you know, reality. So the story of the scriptures, the story of, of Christianity, the story of God's purposes of creating, redeeming, renewing, fulfilling, you know, all of that, you know, that's what you ultimately place your existence in, into this this kind of wide Story, and we've talked a lot about that story. But the reality is that since then, what Christianity, largely through uh, the last few centuries of, of modernity and so forth, has been reduced to something of a, a much more constrained thing. It's no longer the grand, the grand story, the grand narrative, the, the sweeping thing that takes us out of the mud of our existence. Right? It's reduced into rational propositions and on the one hand and then on the other behaviors. So if you're to be a Christian, you you subscribe to certain propositions, the whole rise of confessional denominational Christianity, you get to choose a version of Christianity that you belong to. They all have different propositions and they all have, you know, alongside them behaviors that you're to exhibit, right? So if you believe the right things and you do the right things, you're a Christian, but it's no longer that big story. And so at the same time as Christianity is reduced from being the big story, what becomes you know th- there's the the, the rise of, of of income and of progress and 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 we're no longer quite so much although some people still are you know kind of baked into the mud of of human existence we a lot of us have access to a wider array of, of human activities, more leisure, more opportunity to think and and, and dream and so forth. At the same time as that's happening, so we're no longer as desperate you know for the that that story that Christianity was to have provided and is no longer doing so. but then science comes along science comes along with its massive impressive awe inspiring discoveries and is capable now of fulfilling the role that the cathedral in the twelfth century that I just described used to do, right what is in in a in a modern technical Western society, with all of its busyness, with all of its you know. The things that distract us constantly. What is the story that would lift your eyes above the horizon? Right. For many of us, it's still a struggle. It's just a more nuanced and complicated one than than the 12th century mud that I described. But it's about paying your mortgage. It's about staying employed. It's about you know the the anxiety of climate change. About all the kinds of different things we need to to pay attention to in this world. Are we still going to be around? You know, in a few few years, if all of these things continue but we lift our eyes above the horizon what is the grand story that we see you know and science has come along from being you know a fairly constrained thing in the middle ages to growing more wide in the in the renaissance but then in the enlightenment the scientific method and the the discoveries that in all the sciences whether it's as we said earlier, astrophysics and, and quantum physics and that, but also chemistry, biology. The story that's told there is a really compelling and and wide-ranging one. You know, the we, you know, we're not just head in the mud, you know. We we live on a a roughly spherical rock that orbits a star at about a hundred thousand miles an hour right? Um, and that rock we know is covered with a layer of, of water that produces the lakes and oceans and surrounding it is a layer of air so thin that if the earth were the size of an apple, the atmosphere would be thinner than the apple skin. That's our home. And it's been home for every single human being that's ever lived. And those of us who are here on that rock, were made, and it's a cliche, but it, it's no less amazing that the, the carbon nitrogen oxygen in our body was created in the heart of a star long before our solar system was formed you know we're made of stardust if you want a compelling interesting on spying story just tell people that right and the most common elements in our body are the most common elements in the galaxy we belong you know here we embody the history of the whole you know solar system and there are Parts of us, you know, say we're remade every few years, but everything that makes up our body, parts of that go back to 14 billion years ago, right? The heavier elements in our body created uh, in the stars after that, but the hydrogen, nine uh, nine and a half, 10% of our body, three minutes after the Big Bang and all the protons, you know go back to about a millionth of a second after the the, the Big Bang. And it just all of this is fascinating stuff. I, I I used to love to tell my kids these things. Or you take every single human being who's ever lived and you compress the empty space in them, we could all fit into the size of a sugar cube, right? These are fascinating stories. I, I, this is what I would want to to lift me out of the humdrum busyness of life and everything. Where, where's the story that's going to lift your eyes above the horizon? Tell people stuff like this, right? And it's not just that it becomes interesting factoids. You know, some of the stuff is, you know, possibly easily dismissed or you remember it only at the next pub quiz or, or something like that. But actually out of this comes a tremendous amount of value. And you know, purpose, right? Because if this is the case, you know that that we are we are unique. You know, um, you know the, there are what is it like something like um, I'm going to say something like ten thousand known galaxies for every human being on Earth right now. So each of us can can own ten thousand galaxies, and each of those galaxies has a hundred billion stars on average. You know, in them right? And each of those has potentially, you know, some number of planets, you know, that are, are, could have habitable, you know, life and everything. But so far as we know, we are alone, we're the only ones, you know, here that puts everything into this tremendous perspective. And that fragility, that vulnerability, that contingency is something that religion, Christianity included, struggles to be able to convey to people, right? People are, all about independence and individualism and everything, you go into this story of science and suddenly you're back to being this fragile, contingent, dependent creature that is desperate for this unique thing that we are to continue. And if they're going to continue, well, then we better take care of our environment, take care of one another, right? So suddenly the, the story itself like we've been saying throughout all of our podcasts, the story itself has a as an end, it has it has virtues because that's how you live towards that end. It's it's all there. It's extremely religious. And one of the ironies I think of, of of Christians and the way they they kind of deal with the, this question and and you, you raised it right? how does orthodoxy relate, you know, to all of this? And the irony I think is that we're often we sort of view science as being just facts or just, you know, mechanics or just objective, you know, reality's got there's no it's all just about the how. There's no there's no why and so forth. Well, that's not true actually. What you find among scientists who are the most you know, proper scientists, the most open, humble, generous, you know, understanding of of just how weak and fragile we are, they are the, can be the most caring because the whole process of science is to, in fact, be open to the fact, in fact, you, you start every day thinking yesterday I was wrong and let's find the ways I was. Well, that, if that's not repentance, what is, right? So, We have a huge potential. If we can recover the Christian story, which is ultimately the thesis here, right? If we can live that wide story of God, that wide narrative, we can get people again within the cathedral looking up to to heaven and so forth. We have so much in common with that beautiful story that science has told. I think there's a real potential here. It comes together in so many ways because what we want to be saying about human life vis-a-vis God is what scientists are already saying about human life vis-a-vis the universe, right? And and so there's so much possibility for those stories to to kind of converge and coalesce and and so forth. But sadly we lost it. We lost the plot. We stopped telling the narrative. We reduced Christianity to a package of of beliefs and behaviors. And science filled that void. And I have no uh you know, I wouldn't cast any criticism in the direction of people who do look to science for that story, because it's giving them precisely the kinds of values and, and understanding and and a place and a purpose of living that the Christianity ceased to do. And in, 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 Combating that, or in, in in remedying that situation, I'm not about replacing the science. I'm about saying, let's have a dialogue. Let's say, how can you know we kind of come together here? And actually, if you properly understand the Christian story, you'll find already, you know, much of what you're talking about is there. And that goes for the, the so-called atheists who are scientists, right? Uh, I say so-called because ultimately, nobody can be uh, in that sense an atheist and 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 live as a human being. In, in, within this beautiful universe that we have and within that story, I think there's a possibility. The atheism they're expressing is a rejection of the Christianity that was reduced to strange rational beliefs and and behaviors. If we can tell them again the story, I think they would be amazed. They'd be awe-inspired not only by what they're seeing through their microscopes and telescopes and, and so forth, but by this wider perspective and story of God that, that we used to be able to tell and, and used to be able to inspire people.
0: If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. It's clear that a lot of people find in the story of science, a really robust cosmology, a really robust worldview that gives them values, that teaches them how to live in the world and find no need to go to church. Find no need for the story of, of Christ, and, you know. And we were just talking a little bit about how the church has perhaps failed in its uh, in its presentation of that story. Right? It's not lived up to the grand scale of its own story. But if if the story of science does provide such a robust worldview, why bother engaging with the story of the church? Like, what what does that even have to offer if you can get everything?
1: At, at this side with the science? it's a really good question. Uh, and I, in in some sense, not much. Like, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think, you know, science undertaken properly, as most scientists do, I'm going to have a very positive and appreciative you know, view of that here, it teaches people values, right? So they come out of that process of learning to do science properly with Honesty, with doubt, respect for evidence, openness, accountability, tolerance, hunger even for, for opposing points of view. Right? These are actually very pragmatic working principles, right? So if scientists go about testing and poking and probing and arguing and 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 doing the, 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 the dreaming and and, and, and and contending with all of the, the parts of reality that they do, um, That process leads to very, very good values, the very values that would make human life flourish, right? So if, if the point of all of this, going right back to Aristotle, you know, and the, and the early church picks up on this, you know, is human flourishing. If that is the teleology here, then all the principles there could actually be derived from science done, done right. Now, science is manipulated and misappropriated in all kinds of ways, not least as we have seen over the last couple of years with the pandemic, where science becomes the, you know, the science says, and then people are clobbered over the head with it, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual process of openly exploring and seeking truth, right? And that, as I said, teaches things like honesty, doubt, respect for evidence, openness, accountability, tolerance, and hunger for different points of view—all that's good. I think those are the key principles, pragmatically, that will get us to, to human flourishing. So, what's missing, you know, from that? Because, honest, honestly, those should be the, the values that that Christians have as well as we go through this life, as we seek, you know, human flourishing. Well, I think what is ultimately missing is, you know, two things, but they're they're the same thing, right? And, and we could call those purpose. The point, the telos, on the one hand, and then secondly, the person. So, purpose and person. And that's God Himself, right? And so, what scientists do, because they're human beings, because they are. Brought even to a religious commitment in what they're doing, uh, a, a transcendent experience in what they're doing, regardless of what their theology is going in. When we say that they are awe inspired by what they find, you know, in the in the human genome or what they find in in exploration of quantum uh, mechanics and, and so forth, to be awe inspired is to have a transcendent religious experience. And it's funny; even the most atheistic of scientists will talk you know, in those terms. It's, it's really quite fascinating. Um, I've got a quote here from uh, Richard Dawkins, which I find uh, interesting, because you can't think of anybody kind of more anti-Christian than him. And he, he wrote that it is this feeling of spine-shivering, breath-catching awe, almost worship, he says, this flooding of the chest with ecstatic wonder that modern science can provide. Right, and it, you know, Albert Einstein wrote, "I maintain that the cosmic religious feeling is the strongest and noblest motive for scientific research." So, it's baked in there that this is transcendent; it is religious; it is—it's a form of worship, right? But what's missing from that is the revelation of the One who is the object of that worship, right? That's what Christianity offers, because it's not that we're in a different narrative. It's that we know the narrator. Okay, so that double P, the purpose and person, is the capital N narrator, the one who wrote the narrative. So every scientist is worshiping God without naming him. And Mm -hmm. what we Mm -hmm. can offer is not a different process, a different journey, a different story, but the very I'll use another P protagonist, you know, as well as the 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 N narrator, as well as the A author of all of that, right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's that part that we come in, and so that's why I say that the convergence is not one of well we can dialogue from these different points of view. I truly believe that these scientists are on the same journey. They are heading when they when they're being open and honest and and doubting and and struggling for purpose. They are on the same journey that we are on that we have named you know in our faith as the the orthodox christian life or or whatever, but what they don't know is the one who has revealed himself as the author and purpose and and narrator of that story, and so that's where I think with with careful dialogue with open heart and generosity, we can actually. You know, I would love to talk to somebody who talks about, you know, modern science flooding the chest with ecstatic wonder. You know, I thought you know, a lot of people have written Dawkins off, but but why? Einstein and and others, and there are lots of those those expressions of that uh, being full of awe, right? And and I think all this can kind of rewrite the stereotype that we have of the way science and and religion, you know, kind of coexist in this world i I genuinely believe these are the human beings who are most closely following what we want people to do which is to follow the traces of the story of god back to god himself and so i think there's Mm -hmm, room mm -hmm. you know for for this
0: yeah it it this model we've been kind of drawing of how, how how can we be orthodox and understand science and the story of science the way that you've drawn it out like an orthodox scientist would be doing the same work as a regular scientist. Like it wouldn't be like a different kind of science or like, I don't know, like it, it would be, it would be the exact same work. I, I, I'm finding, I'm struggling to say exactly what I'm meaning there, but I hope you're getting the the spirit of what I'm saying. But um, it's, they participate in that same way of investigating the universe. The only thing that's, that's a, different is that they know Christ, right? They know god as the narrator
1: that's right there's a perfect illustration of what i'm saying because if it weren't the case then you would think well i'm a committed orthodox christian i know who god is i you know and let's say this person knows the, the grand story isn't just living according to beliefs and behaviors as modern christianity would have reduced uh that person to but that person knows the grand story of god but then sets out to be you know someone who studies chemistry, right? How would you know that that person's doing chemistry in a way that's different from somebody who doesn't know that story of God? Well, they wouldn't look different. So you get someone like, you know, 19th century Dmitry Mendeleev, right? Who develops the periodic table of the elements. Committed Orthodox Christian. But but his work is fundamental to the entire project in, in modern, you know, chemistry and understanding of of the elements and so forth. He, those things are the same project, right? Worshipping God, praying to God, living God's story, and exploring the beauty and wonder in this awe-inspired way, uh, the way that, that matter has come together, the way God has expressed himself in that. And some of these wonderful you know factoids that we have about you know being made of stardust i mean it, this is an illustration of the very thing that orthodox christians know through revelation and so the way these things come together is is quite beautiful but you're right it, the science doesn't change because of of our religious commitment because of our of our understanding of that revelation and so it's in a way, in a, way a very powerful illustration of what we're saying that these are pulling in the same direction it's just that we mm-hmm. have maybe that slightly wider perspective of showing who the narrator, the point and purpose of, of the whole thing is. But it's the same story.
0: Yeah, I have a, a a line here from the Akathis to the glory of God for all things. And I think it's saying what, we're, what you're saying here, Father, but I'll let you comment on it, but I'll read it here first. Um, so by your Holy Spirit, you inspire the thought of the artist, the poet and the scientist. By the power of your wisdom, they prophetically enter into the mysteries of your laws and reveal the depth of your wisdom. Even their works involuntarily speak about you. Oh, how wonderful you
1: are in your works. Oh, how great you are in man. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you know why? Because the first part of what you said could be misinterpreted by people to say, oh, well, Christians who are doing this work, right, are doing this. Christian scientists, not Christian scientists, sorry. It's very difficult. To, to, Christians who are scientists, not, not that 19th century strange, yeah, yeah. you know, exactly. thing, heresy called Christian science. Um, Christian scientists are doing this. But no, goes on to say involuntarily, meaning every scientist, every scientist doing science properly on the proper principles with all those values that have just been articulated are involuntarily revealing something of God. And that becomes ultimately a real form of of revelation, right? In the the Western Middle Ages, um, this was a kind of common trope. uh, St. Bonaventure was one of the big articulators of this. It goes right back to the early church. But there's the idea of the there are two books of revelation, right? There's the book of the scriptures, books of the scriptures on the one hand. And then there's the book of nature, And it's by studying both together, we come to this fuller, you know, portrait of of who God is. So even those who set out hand on heart, I'm a committed atheist or at least agnostic or whatever, by doing good science, they become God's revelators. They are as much revelators as, you know, John the divine on Patmos, who who has this vision and and, and gives us the apocalypse, the, the, the book of Revelation. Every work of science is a book of revelation. Involuntarily sometimes, but but certainly that's the case. So that Akathis points that out, that it's not always the voluntary action of people who are set out to say, I want to know more about God. And there are lots of Christians who who do that, who enter into science and do that. But every one of them who's doing it in honesty and openness and humility and generosity and with this idea that you know they, they can change their perspective and have to debate and and, and discuss it and so forth, they are gods. Revelators, and and that's a remarkable way that we can open up a, a line of dialogue between our faith and with science.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.